This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. A rolling bike and camping festival from the Grampians to the Great Ocean Road. Greatvic.com.au. Triple R sponsors. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. past the hour of whatever time that is, nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, you're on Radio Marinara. You're on Triple R. I'm Anthony Boxhaw. I'm Dr Beach. And Dr Beach, how art thou? I'm, I'm very well. Et toi? Um, I can't go any further in no, French. No, no, no. Edith was enough. <laughs> Edith and her striped T-shirt. I am, in fact, well. I am, in fact, well. You are, in fact, well. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. No, very well. Um... Yeah, one of those kind of lovely kind of... Beautiful spring morning out yeah, there. Yeah, it is. It yeah. really is. And, of course, thank you to young Tim, who gets younger and more vital with his bits every week. Indeed. Well, ex- nicely expressed. You think? I like that, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah nice yeah, expressed. Yep. He's, um, he, he's, a, he's an icon to Australian radio. Mm-hmm. Mm. He is. Last week on this show, we had Alona Cheruvi coming and she came, well, she was in the studio and she mm-hmm. talked to us about a project she was doing at Phillip Island on Lapwings. Yes. Alona's joined us again because I want Alona to tell us about her work at the Penguin Parade, the Phillip Island Penguin Parade. 
uh, I think it's the like second or might be the third most popular tourist attraction in this fair country of ours. I, yeah, I think it might be the top. Oh, hang on, maybe the reef. I, th- I think the Great maybe Barrier the Reef. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Alona's come back and she's going to tell us about how she's they're back. just getting... It's, it's, it's a really healthy penguin parade and it's a really healthy population of penguins and I want her to tell us... Well, she's got fantastic stories about these penguins that rock up at the beach every night that rejoice in names like Rambo, Romeo and Juliet. Um, and <laughs> how they actually There's got thousands of them. They don't all have names. A few of them have names and they've gotten to know them um, and there's a few that <laughs> are a bit it. sort of... Oh, a, a bit brash, you might say. Right. They want to get out of the water first. They're strutting their stuff. Nice. Kick people around. And we're going to go through all the names of all the we're thousands? We're going to go through all of the names. Right. Yep. So we've been getting her in now and we'll go right through it all at 6pm. We could do that. We, we, well, what we could do next <laughs> Radiothon is hand out penguin names. <laughs> we could. That'd be fantastic. Let's do that. We'll get Alona back to I do that. I love it. I love it. And what, she's also, what Alona is also going to do is that we had... I, I had a bit of feedback from last week's show when we played right. um, what was going to be a pulse of a bird, of a lapwing... Um, Yes. That we could hear through the it fake It turned out egg. to be somewhat silent. It was somewhat yes. silent. So, so we, we act on feedback here at 3 We do. If anything, we do. We do, we yeah. Do. Particularly from the Skipper Kemp. So thank you very much for that feedback. Um, and uh, we're going to replay some more of that. And so we're going to warn you about turning up your... Do- well, no, you're no, not even going to have no, to turn no, up your doll. No, we're no, going to do it all for you. No, no. I've yep, yep. dealt with it in studio. Anyway, that, that's... I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be in about... Ten minutes after Anthony and I finished blathering on for a bit, and um, oh no no, it'll be about half news. past. They got a heap of oh, news. Oh, oh, it's going to be half past. Heap of oh, news. All right, so heap yeah, of news half today. past nine. Half past we nine. We got weather. We got and then and then whaling. See the stuff in the last couple of uh, in the I last have. week about the international whaling. We'll come back to that. All right, let's do um, that. And then I've got to say, I've been getting into the Heidel zone. The Heidel zone. That is, yeah. is that really de- oh, de- towards Hades? Really, really, really deep. Yeah. And I'm going to go through nine things you bet you didn't know about it, one of which you just showed me you did know. Oh, we'll why, why it's, called, why it's yeah. called the Hadel zone yeah. down near Hades. It's a really, 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 really deep bit. It's a really, really deep bit. And, and some, it might even and have the some river surprising st- stuff, actually. And the river Styx might be going through there but as I well. Uh, well, well, is well, there a stickle zone? Is there a stickle zone? No, but maybe we need one. Maybe we need one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going I'm to kick off mm-hmm. before you kick into the news. Mm-hmm. No weather. Yeah. With uh, a giveaway. Excellent. I'm going to do a giveaway. This will, this will to, test if anyone's listening. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, well, at least if anyone's on your phone. Okay, Black Showgirls deftly flips dance film genre on its head in a satirical take on cinematic cliches. It follows the story of Ginny, a fair-skinned um, girl who dreams of becoming the best Aboriginal dancer in the glitzy um, suburbs of Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas. Anyway, bullied for her fair skin and belittled by the judges at her Black Showgirls audition, Ginny Douch will ever perform. It's at the Malthouse. It's on Friday... The um, 18th, actually. It's on Friday the 18th. So you've got to be able to go November, Friday the 18th, 938881027. Candy's out there. You have to be a subscriber. We've got one double pass. Pick up there at the Malthouse. It's on the 18th. Ken's going to pick a number that he likes between 1 and 10 and then he's going to answer that phone line. Okay, so that's the first of actually a couple of giveaways today. So Black Showgirls, thanks to the Malthouse for that one. That sounds like a really good gift. actually sensational. Fantastic. Really, yeah. But unfortunately I can't go because I'm already going to something on November the 18th. That's kind oh. of struck a call with me. Oh. I'm going up to Newham, which is near Hanging Rock, and I'm going to hear Robert Forster play he's, at the Newham Mechanics he's Institute. He's just not... Oh, lovely. What, do you, what were you about to nothing, say? Nothing. 
I love it. I love Robert Forster. My goodness, yeah, Saint, go. Saint Robert. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that so much. I can't tell you. Hey, now we've got a bit of weather. Yeah, we have got a, we bit, have, of, there's I, a bit of weather happening. Did you like that way we started the show with a giveaway? I mean, I love that idea. We're smooth. It, uh, 11 to 21 degrees today. Um, pretty cloudy. No, partly cloudy is what it said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I said that's, that's a funny word for the age, dude. Pr- pretty cloudy. It's pretty cloudy. I, I like the loose yeah. terminology. I mean, it's now. kind of, you know, it's whatever. It's going to be yeah. cloudy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have my reading glasses, so this might happen again. Uh, we have a slight <laughs> 30% say, chance of a shower in the morning, yeah. then a dry afternoon. Yeah. Uh, winds west 20 to 30 kilometres per hour, turning north to northwest. I think everyone's gone. Thanks, everyone. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, so have fun at that gig, whoever, whoever oh, got yeah. that. Um, tomorrow, 16 to 24 degrees, couple of showers. Well, 24 degrees, warming up. Tuesday, back yeah. down to 18 degrees, shower <sighs> or two, minimum on. of 11. Wednesday, 9 to 20. Um, chance of rain, 10%, little bit. Uh, Thursday, 50% chance True. of rain, 10 to 21 Ooh. degrees. Friday, 11 to 21 degrees. And that's, I, yeah, it's all going to change honestly, by the end of the week anyway, so there's no I, point. People are making this stuff up. I think they might be sometimes. I, Honestly. For those of you who are heading out on the water and are interested in what's happening with the tides at Point Lonsdale, that is the heads, there is a low tide at 10.43am this morning. 10.43 is low, so it means sometime in the middle of the day yep. there's going to be one of those uh, flat bits. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I was... Hang on. Hang on. Turn that, let's talk about upwelling. Well, speaking of the age, I was you know, lying in bed yesterday morning reading the, the Saturday Age and very beautiful beautiful article by Tony Wright, which is on page 21 of Insight, where he's rejoicing in the Bonnie upwelling. Do you know what the Bonnie upwelling is, Anne? Oh, I do. It's an upwelling just off the coast of Portland, it between is. Portland and South Australia. Yeah, and this happens it's late it's October to mm. early November every year. And mm. it's called the Bonnie Coast from Portland around to Robe, so kind yeah. of sneaking into South Australia. And That's why... That whole area is so rich with fisheries. And, yeah. And I, particularly I big fish. You know, they, 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 now is the time when the people go out and do the, whatever they're looking for, the big fish, tuna. Tuna, that's and right. And, their boats. And, and blue whales are coming yeah. in. All sorts of stuff. And I, I don't know, Sunday morning, a little bit of a reading. <laughs> I'd, I'd really like to do this. I'd like to, you know, if Tony Wright happens to be listening, I'd, yeah, thank you for this very beautiful article. Um, nice picture of a blue whale there um, with its tail. But listen to this. So he's describing the upwelling. Um, which happens late October, early November every year. This is, um, this is not me, this is Tony Wright. The chill tide, packed with nutrients, hits the surface in a wild flourish of photosynthesis, microscopic phytoplankton exploding and feeding, with cloud, and feeding great clouds of krill. Um, fish swarm, seabirds wheel and dive, penguins and dolphins fly beneath the waves, crayfish scuttle and seals frolic. And all those billions of krill, tiny crustaceans prove irresistible to the Earth's greatest creatures, blue whales. There are blue that whales is, congregating off our coast. It's poetry. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's, you know, it's Judith Wright. It's whatever. Yeah, t- I wonder if Tony Wright's related oh, to Judith Wright. There, yeah, there you go. That was a flash. Someone Google that and tell us. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been down there at that time of year, but I've heard people like John Arnold, who's been on the show from time to time, mm. a marine biologist, talking about the... It, all the stuff that goes down with this upwelling. So it's cold water coming from Antarctica, deep cold water which has come all the way up from Antarctica and because we're pretty close to the continental shelf there, when these breezes pick up at this time of year, what they do is they blow the warm surface waters away. 
So that the, they come off the land. Yeah. The wind comes off the yeah, land. I think, yep. I think it's a yep. sa- my, yeah, yeah, southeast, I think. Oh, yeah. um, and then, but anyway, it's it's a, it's a, yeah. well, anyway <laughs> these winds blow the warm surface waters away, so that leaves a bit of a vacuum, if you like. So the cold yeah. water goes whoops, straight to the surface and that cold water is just chock-a-block of nutrients. And as Tony just described to us, all those nutrients feed the phytoplankton. You get this explosion of beautiful little photosynthetic organisms. All the zooplankton, all the animal plankton come in to eat that and with that you get lots and lots of krill and, of course, that attracts the blue whales as well as many, many other animals as you described before. We have tuna down there. But don't go out and catch those tuna. It is interesting, isn't it, that, that you know, I'm in Victoria and South Australia because it spans across the border. I mean, we, a lot of people probably know the stories of the upwellings on the South American coast and on the California coast. Indeed, I talked about the one on the California yeah. coast not so long ago. And, and yet, you know, a lot of people don't realise we have our own little upwelling, um, you know, our own homegrown upwelling yep. right from the bottom of the ocean. And, of course, the, it's got to be, it's as you say, it's the water coming straight up from the Antarctic and of course it's, it hits that part of the coast because you can't hit the the, the further east part because you've got the really shallow um, sea that is Bass Strait. Yes. You know, right there. So you can't kind of do that. So it comes up, hits all the side of kind of the west coast Tassie as well. Brilliant. Amazing stuff. So good on him. Yeah, good, good article. Yeah, yeah. Hey, another thing that happened in the week that I found very interesting mm-hmm. was um, the International Whaling Commission. Mm-hmm. It's kind of straddled the last couple of weeks. They've been meeting in some, you know, beautiful city somewhere doing some discussion. But the, one of the really interesting things that came out of it is that there's all this tightening of rules to enable or to stop you know, the Japanese in particular faking the science, you know, kind of, you know, using science as as a basis of doing whaling when really, frankly, they're just whaling. You know, at least Norway just whales. You know, yeah. let's not pretend, you know. Iceland, they just whale, you know. And, 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 you know, the numbers are in the hundreds, you know. They take hundreds of whales a year and it's become a kind of a cause celeb, I think, for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And there were two very interesting articles actually spanning... There's been a movement, I think, out of law professors... Mm-hmm. in universities around the country in the last few years, basically questioning, is this the best way to use the idea? Because, of course, the International Whaling Commission started as the whaling countries coming together to manage numbers of whales that were whaled. Yep. They were all pro-whaling, you know, because it started that way. Yep. And then very slowly but surely, you know, Australia, New Zealand, and a couple of other big countries all kind of went from being massive, massive whaling countries to being anti-whaling. And it's become a, a completely polarised and dichotomised, you know, it's you're either for it or against it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the countries are buying off other countries with artisanal, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, a couple of really interesting articles, one in the conversation this week and one... Oh, I remember reading a couple of years back in this conversation, but this one by Stephen Freeland, who's a um, professor of international law at um, Sydney Uni. And then there's another really neat one by Justin Rose, who's a, uh, a law professor at the University of South Pacific and New in the sorry the, and New England University. Basically, both questioning the approach and saying, you know, quite upfront, mm. I am against the notion of whaling. Yeah, but frankly. There's nowhere near the amount of whales killed through these processes than there are through other things that humans do. And so the International Whaling Commission itself, the numbers that it produces, suggest, the latest numbers suggest that about 350,000 whales a year get killed by entanglement in some Entanglement? Way. Entanglement. In nets? Yep. 
Well, nets and other fishing devices and other, okay. you know, coastal, you know, shark nets, you know, all kinds of things, but predominantly related to fishing, which I find extraordinary, you know, that number. And I so I questioned it and I kind of went back so and so searched again, that through. number. You said 350,000. Yes, which is just remarkable, you know, when you think about that. I'm just trying to work out over what time period that, that, that is because you kind of think about that and you think that's an enormous 300,000, more than 300 diannually, cetaceans broadly. Yep, yep. Not all the target species, but many more of the target species, you know, minkies and things, mm-hmm. the Japanese and all Norway, Norway. So these two professors, these two law professors, different times, you know, one a couple of years apart, yep. put these very cogent arguments for saying... Let's stop worrying about 300. <laughs> and let's do something about 300,000. And, 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 and change the rules and tighten the rules as they've been doing and make it clearer when you're whaling, when you're not, and give small numbers of quotas if that's what people require, you know. And, mm-hmm. and one guy was really interesting. One, one, professor, one, one of the law professors in his, in his article made the point that it, he was al- it was almost distasteful for him <laughs> to admit that if the focus of energy moved from this and just allow a few to go and move the focus on to stopping this mass, you know, death. It, it is hard Heaps to... Heaps more whales will live. It <laughs> is. Uh, yeah, my first instinct is like, oh, how can you kind of condone that? But then... Well, not, not condone it, but, yeah, but ch- transfer... Use a bit of that enormous amount of energy which is going into... It's exactly what they're saying. Trying to harangue the Japanese into stop taking 300 or well, even whatever if it's 800 number, or... Even yeah, if it's 800 yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And concentrate some of that energy on dealing with all the... The bycatch, it might not well, it's not bycatch, but but getting yeah, stranded no, in fishing on. gear. Yeah, it's not just, but it, but it's um you know in in Western Australia, it's a lot of lobster pod um gear. It's a lot of you know it, it's a broad right. range entanglement. of things, entanglement yeah. in general. Um, he goes on to say he says something like a little quote. Although this might sound strange coming from a law professor, I believe the formal legal system is not an effective way to resolve this long entrenched impasse. And so he's basically <laughs> saying just just you know use the IWC for what it was for, call it what it is, don't pretend this is scientific, you know, don't pretend this is anything yep. but whaling, have small manageable quota numbers and use the considerable political and economic and passion, mm-hmm. <laughs> the effort that is going into that issue and turn it to the other issue, which the IWC actually has a huge involvement. They have an entire program around entanglement and working with particularly fisheries and ports and other bodies all around the world to try and minimise the number of entanglement. So they, they, it already exists in the international okay. structure. It's already got an advocacy program. Um, you can. It's got some really interesting stuff. They have annual meetings on entanglement only where they present the latest information about, you know, the latest entanglement type issues mm-hmm. so that they can then feed that back to the industries involved. It's So it's a really interesting, challenging ethical question, isn't it? It certainly is, yeah. Let them whale a few so that they can stop the many dying. Yeah. And that, that, number, that, that, that number includes dolphins as well. Like all so, cetaceans. Cetace, all cetaceans. Yeah, it does. Okay, yeah. right. So, so you're right, it's, it's not just a straight, yeah. um, you know, kind of whale question. It's all cetaceans, dolphins, porpoises, the whole lot. But something that deserves a lot more me, me, at, attention perhaps. At, at the very least of the target species that they whale for their fake scientific stuff, that mm. really irks me, um, there's an order of magnitude more die-through entanglement than 
Yeah. You know, a thousand times more. Yeah. But, you know, then, but anyway. So that you're alluded to that through the conversation, which is a great Fantastic. organ for, for getting, you know, ideas out there. And and something, yesterday, I, was listening, I love radio, I was listening to Robin Williams, The Science Show, and 12 o'clock, Radio National, 621 on your AM dial. He's been doing that for, I mean, longer than Tim Thorpe's been doing vital bits. Uh, which yesterday, is actually at least two centuries. That's right. Mm. But yesterday was... Robin introduced the show and he said, this is the 2093rd <laughs> science show. Now, remember, this is a weekly program. So, you know, back of the envelope, that's over 40 years of broadcasting by Robin Williams, who is... I mean, in fact... I, 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 just, I just sang the praises of Tony Wright, but Robin Williams, I mean, what a fantastic, beautiful commentator on science. We should and, just yeah, all... And I'd, I'd like everyone advocate. just to, to sit up in bed and clap out loud <laughs> right now for Robin Williams. And yesterday he was talking about... Um, Cotspot. I hadn't heard of Cotspot before, but he was interviewing two scientists from QUT, Queensland University of Technology. Um, Cotspot, COTS, C-O-T-S, stands for Crown of Thorns Starfish. Ah, yes, right. There is a robot that... And there, is a, there was a bit of press on this a year ago. I completely missed it. This is all news to me. Yet again, I'm behind you know, <laughs> on, on what's happening and I'm just reporting something else. But I, I just want to share this with our listeners who might not have been listening to Radio National yesterday and the science show with Robin Williams, but this Cotspot... Scientists at University of Queen, um, Queensland University of Technology have developed this robot, which at the moment, well, they've just won a big Google prize. Apparently, mm-hmm. couldn't find anything on the web about mm-hmm. that. You reckon on Google would you know have it out there? Yeah, but you yeah. know, after Robin was talking about it, I immediately searched on Google, found no information on them getting a Google prize. But apparently, they have yeah. because they've got this robot, which look it's yellow, of course, so it looks a little bit like a submarine, yeah, yeah. which can. Go out. It can. Rec- they've trained it to recognise crown of thorns starfishes, which Acanthastoplanchii. Yeah. You will remember Anth is the thing that's you know yeah, pretty bad absolutely. for the Great Barrier Reef. Um, it can recognise one of those from any other starfish and yeah. anything else now. So they've trained it very well. Not with. So it's doing this. Well, with what does it do when it recognises them? It goes down and it injects them with <laughs> some kind of acid or something specific straight into that individual starfish and then moves <laughs> on to the next one. And it looks like this is going to work. Wow. So it's a, essentially a control mechanism. Yes. And Goodness these people mate. want to develop this We should get them spot. on the show. We should get them, on the, get them show. on the show. That's what I thought. It was a bit oh late. I didn't want to hassle them on a Saturday afternoon. It's like independent radio in Melbourne. <laughs> but I will. I, I, I will, I I will contact it. them. But just before I leave that, they, their aim is to develop this a little bit like drones now. You know how mm. we have like drones have become mm. quite, not commonplace, but oh, yeah, uh, I could go and buy one if I wanted to. Heavily used for science too now. Well, Enormously. heavily used for science. Enormous. So they wanted to go that way so that we now bring citizen science into this with the right. cost spot. So <laughs> if they are cheap enough, then fishermen can have them. They can do number one, one they can do survey work yeah. and see where yeah, the starfish yeah, yeah, outbreaks yeah. are. Um, fishermen, tourists, you know, and then get boats on top are of out it. looking for... Yeah, and get on top of it. Not actually give them the licence to actually kill, you know, not the 007 licence to kill, yeah. but, you know, then they could go in and do the killing with Goodness the uh, with that um, injection device which is on the cot spot. Anyway, uh, t- thank you, Robin Williams. That was, that was beautiful so, yesterday. And, and thank you for... We hope you have another 40 years I was going of to say, delivering he, the best radio science on earth. And, of course, 40 years. It's our 40 years. It's, it's, three, it's Triple R's 40 years. Triple R's 40, 40 years. years. It's Marinara's 20 years. Did you, did you listen to... Sensei. So, did you listen to and Max? And I'm going to play... Sorry, no, you go. Did you listen to Max Headroom the other I night? I missed it, but oh, I heard it was fantastic. It was just amazing. There's the whole next, like, the whole next period of time, and I don't, I'm going to say that because I don't know when it finishes. We've got all kinds of stuff yeah. going on for anyway, 40 years. Anyway, the other night was 1979, Boys Next oh, Door. loving it. Have a listen to this and then we'll come back and play some music. From the
campus of the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. This is 3RMT-FM. Coming soon to State Library Victoria. On air, 40 years of Triple R, an exhibition celebrating the history, culture and character of this unique station. Featuring artefacts from Triple R's humble beginnings spanning right up to the present day, including original artworks, rare photographs, merchandise, interactive displays and more. For the full program of special events, check out the Triple R and State Library Victoria websites. On air, 40 years of Triple R, November 18th till January 29th, 2017, at State Library Victoria. Triple R, celebrating 40 years of independent radio. Radio Marinara, 3 Triple R, it's 9.33, and that was a local outfit called Dusty Spring Clean and the Pops. Um, <laughs> Love Nikki Scarlett, a.k.a. Dusty Spring Clean, but you know, there's a few other people playing in the band like Drongo Starr, Paul McCarthorse, Johnny Osmond <laughs> and Connie Francis Whipwolves. What were their parents thinking when they named them that? Oh, yeah, 
know. Anyway, they're playing this afternoon somewhere, according to Tim. So Love it. Dusty Sprinkling and the Pops, Google them if you want to go and listen to them. Triple R presents the 6th Annual Riverboat Music Festival, returning to the banks of the Murray at Echuca Moama next February. Under the shade of Ancient Red Gums, Riverboats 2017 will feature performances by Paul Kelly and Charlie Owen, Husky, Mia Dyson, The Hoodoo Gurus, Kylie Aldist and New Zealand's Aradna, Cash Savage and The Last Drinks, The Meltdown and many more. With paddle steamers meandering past the stage all weekend in just two and a half hours from Melbourne. For tickets and the full lineup, visit riverboatsmusic.com.au. The Riverboats Music Festival, February 17 to 19. Proud Triple R sponsors. Triple R, celebrating 40 years on air. Yeah, it's Triple R, Radio Marinara. Um, my name's Dr Beach. Anthony Boxall is um, my colleague here this morning doing the panel so professionally. Um, and we're jo- joined in the studio now by um, Alona Cheruvi, who we... It was our great pleasure to have in last week, last Sunday morning at this time, and Alona was telling us about her project on masked lapwings down at Phillip Island. How are you going, Alona? Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I'm going to try that that again. That's a pleasure. Try that again. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you have... Sorry about that. My professional panelling is really working. Now that we have the right mic turned on. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for having me back. I'm delighted to be here. that's That's a pleasure. And the reason we have you back is that... Last week was fascinating talking about the masked lapwings. Um, but mm. one of the other things that you do down at Phillip Island is that you work at the Penguin Parade. You volunteer and indeed I think you get a little bit of money working at the Penguin Parade and you know a lot about the penguins. And I, I, I want to talk about that a little <laughs> bit. But, but before we do that, the masked lapwings, just for those who were listening last week and didn't hear what we wanted you to hear, oh, there was... Um, c- can you just remind us very quickly what the project was about. So just go through the egg thing. Yeah, so um, the project was about comparing uh, behavioural habituation versus physiological habituation. And what we did is measure flight initiation distance, which is a behavioural measure of um, uh, tolerance to humans. So in other words, you were trying to figure out how... Like, when did the birds... Uh, take to the air when, when do they get a bit scared when it's like how close approach? can i get before yeah. they freak out exactly. That, that, nicely yeah. put. Exactly. Yeah. that's yeah. a scientific i like uh, your scientific yeah. method yeah <laughs> and you had you had a fake egg with a microphone in oh, it, didn't, didn't you that you yes. put in the nest brilliant. and that would measure that would listen to the heartbeat of the bird yes so a uh, heartbeat of birds is a good measure a physiological measure of um stress and how their physiology responds to um humans approaching or in general how their physiology and you had a recording of that which we played and i got a bit of feedback and um, I, I don't think it came across through the radio too well particularly, uh-huh. particularly for people driving um, they couldn't hear it. So what we're going to do again Very cool. is, is we're going to replay that. In fact, we might be playing a slightly different one, but we're going to have the volume turned up. So what we're going to be listening to is the heartbeat of a masked lapwing parent who's sitting on the nest. Alona is approaching the nest and the heartbeat's kind of normal and then you'll hear it speed up as Alona gets close to the nest. So is that, is that a good description, yep. Alona? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, All right. And then we're going to play the other one later. Okay, let's try this one first. He says... Oh no, it decided not to play. Can you believe that? Oh well. So we're going to wait a second and it'll come back. I'm sure it'll play at some point. Yeah, all right, let's get back to that. Yeah, later. <laughs> that was okay. me, not that you. <laughs> let's talk penguins. Let's I'll talk come back penguins. To that. So the penguin parade. It's, yeah. 
Tell us about the Penguin Parade. It's pretty popular, isn't it? A lot of people go down there. Yeah, it's very popular. But before I start, I'd like to acknowledge the Bunurong, the traditional custodians of Phillip Island, past, present and future, with whom Phillip Island Nature Parks collaborates to manage the land. So um, the Penguin Parade is a very popular spot. Was it the second, third most popular tourist attraction in the country? I think it's the third... It's, it's getting close to second. Lots of people go mate. down there. I've, I've been there once and it was... Well, once as a tiny kid and once about five or six years ago. It was pretty fun, pretty well organised. It is very well organised because we have a very good team of parade rangers and um, we're all very passionate about what we do there. So. so you are a parade ranger? Yes, I am. You get to wear those cool ranger outfits? Yes, I do. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> by, by an Italian tailor or something or off the shelf? or <laughs> It's the standard issue. Standard uh, issue. Yeah. <laughs> So how's the health of the penguins? So the, the penguins come in at, at dusk. Yeah, we've got the amphitheatre there for those of you who haven't been there. I'm, you just, I'm talking way too much. You describe it for us. So the penguins arrive at uh, night, basically around dusk. Um, that's where they feel um, more comfortable to cross the beach because the beaches, they have a very long stretch of beach. So penguins spend 80% of their time in the water. And um, they're feeding, aren't they? They're feeding, and they're they're quite remarkable little creatures. They're uh, well adjusted to their uh, aquatic environment, um, and uh, living on land is not that attractive to them. So when <laughs> when they cross the beach, they're very scared of um, um, predators such as birds of prey and large gulls and uh, dogs, cats. So they will, but they are very clever. So they're waiting until it gets dark so they can cross the beach safely. But apparently, well, I, I imagine don't feel too disturbed by the lights and all the say, and, and all the and people. The grandstand and, and the grandstand. <laughs> yes, we do keep everyone in a um, safe distance from the penguins. So um, in the past, it didn't used to be like that. So people have been coming to see the penguins since the 1920s, and people oh, really? were able, yeah. And people were able to sit on the beach really, really close to the penguins. But uh, since Phillip Island Nature Parks is there, we make sure that um, the people are in a safe distance from them so it doesn't bother them. We also conduct a lot of research in their sensitivity to light. So penguins are sensitive to white and blue light spectrum and um, our lighting there is very dim. And it's huh. also uh, towards the red. Uh, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So they, so they, they can probably see it, but it doesn't kind of annoy them. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, anno- wow. It doesn't bother them. But also, we make sure that the exposure to humans is very limited. So, the parade is open for about an hour from the first groups that cross the beach, and then we turn off the lights, we remove everybody from the boardwalks and we close the area so and the penguins can... The yep, yep. And like and like 10,000 people pile back into buses and drive back to Melbourne. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that. And there's a good deal of research which happens as well at the at the penguin. Uh, Peter Dan is one name that comes to mind. I think you've yeah. worked with him on the Mass Lapwing Project. He's, you know... Yes, been doing, doing amazing, amazing work. Yeah. Um, so, do you, do you know individuals, individual penguins that are coming up the beach? Have they, uh, can you recognise them? Have you got a census of them now? 
Um, w- well, we microchip them, mm. uh, so we have study sites on the, in the parade, but also in the non-public section of the colony, and we microchip them. We have about um, between three to five percent of the penguins uh, at the parade that are microchipped, and we have. So, f- how many is that? That's well, there'd be hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. We have amazing research team wow. that is working night and day to um, uh, monitor them and make sure that they're very, very happy little penguins. And there, are there <laughs> gates for them to go through, or is it like hand scanners? You know, if you microchip, you've got to go down and kind of scan them with a hand scanner. So that's the cool part, yeah. because we have um, something that is called the Waybridge. We uh, nickname it. Um, the penguin link like the city <laughs> <laughs> love it and um that um is is sitting on one of the pathways so there are a few highways that yeah, penguins yeah. choose to uh walk through to get to their burrows and penguins are really cool they can walk up to two kilometers to reach their burrow wow which is remarkable for such a small tiny little bird. They're yeah. only 33 centimetres tall. Yeah. After being out in the water all day yeah, fishing yeah, yeah. and catching, yeah. you know, catching pilchards for the babies. Yeah, so... Do, are there any that walk two kilometres on Phillip Island? Yeah. Goodness me. Yeah, so wow. they, they will cross the beach at the point that is closest to their burrow, mm. but and then just some walk. of them can just walk... Goodness me, you'd be almost in the main street of cows in Phillip Island <laughs> by the time you... Anyway, yeah. And so they have these little... And then they go through Penguin Link. Yeah. And they, like, they, surely they don't get charged. No. 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 <laughs> but, they, but it kind of... What does it do? Does it download stuff about them? So um, the Penguin Link is a platform that weighs the penguins right. and uh, that gives us a good indication of their body condition and how good the conditions are in their marine environment. And so each time they go past, so each time they go out and when they come back. Yeah. So you yeah. can work out, I guess, how much they've eaten. So yes. and, and, yeah. and you're getting, getting data on an individual because it's scan, yeah. scanning that individual. It's saying that this is, uh, you do, do you have names for any of them? Yes, we do. <laughs> no, um, you don't. <laughs> oh, that's just too cute. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so most of the penguins, well, all of the penguins look the same. So we yes, don't so, yeah. really know them, so they, um, you know, we don't know them. But there are certain characters that are all the rangers at the parade know, like Rambo and, Rambo. and Skippy. and Sk- Skippy? And so is that, uh, yeah, just looks like a kangaroo? Is that what? The- <laughs> well, Skippy is a really interesting character because um, we have the only penguin crossing in the world. So when you get to ah, the... Yes, of course, the road. Yeah, yeah so we, when you get to the penguin... Penguin Parade, um, uh, just past the back doors, there's a penguin crossing because it's downhill and mm. we couldn't build um, raised boardwalks that they're free to come and go. So most of our boardwalks are raised, but um, that is the only section that is bitumen. Mm. So um, penguins that go through the main penguin highway and climb all the way up to the centre, they need to cross to the other side. Mm. So we have every night two rangers that monitor that crossing. That. The lollipop rangers. Yeah, yeah, the we're the lollipop now. people of penguins. Love it. I just think that's fantastic on, you know, on your CV in the future and you know, I have this job as a lollipop person for penguins. And, and Skippy stands and out. In yeah, this. Skippy, Skippy is known, known by everybody uh, because he just stands there, well, she actually right. just stands 
stands there and, and she prints for about 10, 20 minutes and then she starts skipping along. Um, <laughs> in, it's, it's really funny. Before crossing the road. <laughs> yeah, right. so, so she, yeah, when she it. crosses the road, she skips along. <laughs> in, in this, she's got a groove in me. her step. <laughs> Look at me. And Rambo, you mentioned Rambo. What, uh, Rambo is a bit full on, is he? Yeah, he is a bit full on. So um, Rambo is um, is nesting on the Penguin Highway and um, Rambo, um, everybody <laughs> knows him. He's been nesting there for years and every time he has um, cheeks, he's very defensive of his borough. <laughs> so the groups that come on the main Penguin Highway up the hill, um, they have to cross where the borrow oh, is right. and he usually stands there and he's vicious he's just very very aggressive so he scares the daylights out of them so <laughs> last year <laughs> last year they managed to um, learn that one needs to distract him while the others run for the lives. Oh that's fantastic <laughs> I love it <laughs> Hey, I've got lapwing heartbeats. Oh, you've got I it happening. They, I've right. got. I've worked it out. Okay, let, let, so, <laughs> so let's go back to it. So we're hearing Sorry. the heartbeat of a lapwing. This is an artificial egg which is in a nest, recording the heartbeat or the state of physiology of this a- lapwing. And the idea is, as you're getting closer, it's getting more freaked out, so the heartbeat's getting louder. Is that what we're looking for? Okay, yes. here we go. Yep. Here's a here's a lapwing heartbeat. Very cool. I did hear that. That heard that, that was quite. It got this much, way. much louder. It got faster. And and there's another cool one. This is that's the most adorable one I with had. The che- cheeping chicks. How is, uh, and then you got to explain what's going on here because this is remarkable. Okay, so there's a heartbeat. And there's and there's a cheeping. So who's doing the chirping? So lapwing cheeks peep before they hatch. So oh, so this is the other eggs in the nest. Yeah. So you've got your egg eggs. detecting it and then yeah. there's a little as eggs, eggs, real eggs next to it. So that's yeah. actually chirping inside, inside an egg. the egg. Oh, that's how, how deeply they cool. bond with their parents. So that was the thing we were meant to play last week, or we tried yes, to. That's yes. right. We have to wrap up. We'll wrap up, but just, one, just quickly, how's the population of the penguin, well, how's the penguin population health in general at the moment? Oh, it's wonderful. We had, last year, we had the best year um, on record with uh, chicks hatching at about 1,100 grams, very, very heavy chicks. Uh, not not hatching, but uh, fledging at 1,100 grams. Um um, and now it's even better. We have really fat penguins hanging around. So um, we're in the middle of breeding season. It's gorgeous. We have a lot of chicks around and, and the parents are in very, very good um, body condition. So um, everybody's Fantastic. welcome and there's, and there's lots of penguins coming in, aren't there? Yes. Yeah, good numbers. Alona Cherubi, thank you very much from Fantastic. the Phillip Island Nature Park. Um, you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. My name's Dr. Beach and I'm here with Anthony Boxall. And-
and Triple is presenting the Harpoons as part of Melbourne Music Week. So you've got to see this fantastic four-piece at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art alongside a major survey of works by internationally renowned artist Jared Byrne as part of Melbourne Music Week. Um, it's on the Friday the 11th, OK? Friday the 11th at ACCA down in Southbank, Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. I got, we got one double pass to give away. So 93881027 and he, he has says hopefully that Kent can hear this and he's going to pick up the phone. 93881027, you've got to be a subscriber, got to be able to go Friday at ACCA to see the Harpoons, 93881027. We'll be back in a... T- actually, I'm going to play a bit of music. Play a little bit of music. Again, another piece, another sensational local artist or rather uh, Darabin Music Festival supporting Stu Thomas Paradox on Friday night, uh, Elephant Hyde, bunch of kind of Northcote Fairfield blokes in the shed. As long as he's able to Uh-oh. be in Uh-oh. church. Oh, hang on. on. we got a couple of little things competing. I've got, Really? That was... Uh, you're not going to believe what that was. That was William Bell. Was it? It was. I, I was wondering. I thought, yeah. yeah. That was William Bell in the background there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's try that again. Here's a, this is Meteor, Elephant Hyde.
here on Radio Marinara. It is eight and, nine, eight and a half minutes to the hour of uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, that was Elephant Hyde. You can hear him on Reverb Nation if you wish. Uh, sensational local band. Bunch of uh, old blokes who just kind of play music for the hell of it in the shed. And drop their iPad. Uh, that's what that was the noise you heard in the background. Yeah, that was yeah. me doing that. Hey, um, the Hadel Zone. The Hadel Zone. The, the Hadel Zone. Where is it? The very, 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 very deep sea. Um. So I got a lot. I love it. It, it is named after... Hades. Hades. Of course, the underworld from Greek mythology. Yes. And, of course, Hades was um, the brother of Zeus and Poseidon. The person Hades. or well, not the person, the god. Okay. Hades was the brother of Zeus and Poseidon as well. I've forgotten that it's also the name of the kingdom, you know, as in the underworld. And it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of a good example because the idea is that Hades was very, uh, the god, um, was very, um, uh, did not let things in or out. And it's kind okay. of a bit like that, this whole zone. So so I, I love the idea, okay, that we name all these bits of the ocean, right? So anything deeper than 200 metres mm-hmm. is the deep sea, okay, officially, right? Yeah. Now, 200 metres? Seriously, the average depth of the ocean is 3.5 kilometres. <laughs> okay, so isn't that just a classically human-centric view of, oh, deeper than that is deep, for yeah. goodness sake. <laughs> and so basically you've got the literal zone down to 200 metres, so 0.2 of a kilometre. From 0.2 of a kilometre to 3 kilometres is the baffle zone. The baffle zone, From 3 k's to 6 k's is the abyssal or the abyss. So that sounds deep enough. It sure does. And then you get to the underworld. The underworld. The hadal zone. zone. Which is basically from 6 kilometres is down. And the, the ocean, the deepest parts of the ocean, what, 12k? No, just under 11. Just under 11. Just under 11, right. yeah. So it's down, it goes down to about 11k's in a number of places. The deepest bit, though, is um, is actually in the, in the Mariana Trench. There's a Challenger Deep. It's called Challenger Deep because Challenger was the first place, place to, first a uh, Submersible to try and get there. They didn't get there in the 18. Was that James 70s? Cameron? Oh, no, no, no. Right. Like years ago, it was about. Oh, okay. They got to about eight. When was it? 1873. Um, and they got to eight Ks. God, in 1873 in a So there's four other trenches in the Western Pacific that That's exceed 10 people. Ks. Um, there's, they're mainly in the Western Pacific. And the reason we have these trenches and the plains that are near them, the, the Haydel Plains and the Abyssal Plains, is because we have plate tectonics. Okay. So we have all these plates moving around and there's subduction zones, you know, where they crash into yes. each other, kind of geological car crashes. Yes. Crash into each other and then one goes under and the other goes up and it makes these deep, deep trenches. And so anyway... Um, there was another exploration in um, 1901, Princess Alice. I don't think the princess herself went down. Okay. It was named after. And the Swedes, of course, tried to... They got a bunch of things from seven to eight kilometres in the 1940s from the Puerto Rico Trench, which is about six k's. And then Jacques went to the Romanche tr- Trough in the Atlantic um, in, you know, kind of the mid-50s. Ah, Jacques. Ah, Jacques, yeah, Jacques. So how big is it? How do you reckon... How big do you reckon the Hadel Zone is? As an area, mm. oh, I, 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 I really can't think. Not big. Okay, well, I'll tell you. So the mean depth of the trenches is a bit over eight kilometres, eight point yeah. two k's. Okay, so the the zone itself is less than 02 percent of the entire sea floor. Huh? It's not much at all, but it accounts for forty five percent of the total depth. A volume of a volume of depth. Because like, it's isn't so it incredible? Because it's so deep. And what, what lives the down there? It's, well, that's really cool. Loads of stuff. So 45% of the sea, okay, it's 45% of the ocean is in this 
total right. zone. Yeah, 45% Even of Even though it's much less than 1% yeah, of yeah. the area. Brilliant. Um, what's down there? There's pretty much all kinds of stuff. You know, there's there are polychaetes, bivalves, so worms, gastropods, you know, snails, bivalves, amphipods, holotherians, sea cucumbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even um, stars. There's a whole bunch of stuff. There's brittle, brittle stars. I, I remember reading something a while ago. So a, a kind of, you know, bit yeah, like starfish, exactly. but with yeah. the, the really fine, narrow arms on them. There's people are using them. those to like determine something about the deep plains. I mean, yeah, there's it's there's also little pink fish, but they're not right at the really deep bits. There's, there's actually not. They don't think there's any bony fish at the very at the very depth, and that's partly because at eleven kilometres, like you know, close to it, hmm. it's. 1,100 times the atmosphere we're in now. Bit so of pressure. A bit, of, bit of pressure. So 1,100 times what we feel now is atmospheric pressure. And, of course, no light, zero no, light. No, like absolutely none. And a whole lot of crap falling on you from the surface. <laughs> Which is what you <laughs> feed pretty off. Much exactly. That's exactly what everyone's feeding off. There's some weird stuff's going on in the Puerto Rico trench, which is, um, uh, you know, just off Puerto Rico. <laughs> Um, they basically said, oh, it's really deep. This is a classic, you know, in the 70s. It's really deep. Let's use it to dump rubbish. <gasps> so masses of pharmaceutical waste went into it. And an equivalent of 880 Boeing 747s, Jesus. think of how many that is, <sighs> of pharmaceutical waste went into it. And still there. It's still there. Because, of course, it's gone down kilometres, you know, six to nine kilometres. It's not like it's going to retreat, yeah, not, is it? Not particularly no. impressive behaviour like, like by us. No, not at all. So we think about this as really deep, right? Mm. You know, oh, that's so deep. You know, it's forty-five percent of the ocean. Uh, what's eleven kilometres to you? Well, I've, I've I've been putting it in terms of stuff above ground. So yeah. Everest is just under nine. Yep. So it's deeper than Everest is high. And if you think about it, it's probably well, how far do you, how close do you reckon St Kilda is to the middle of the city? Ten, uh, maybe ten kilometres. Yeah, it's about that distance. You know, and you think about that, and you think about that's. It, that's nothing when we measure it in long ways. Like it's mm. probably Doncaster to the city, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be more than 11 kilometres, you know, and there's a freeway there and it's pretty quick, takes us 10 minutes in the car, you know, whatever. And be, but once 11 kilometres down. We just think, oh, And way you mentioned before, our... like, you know, at 200 metres we describe all of that as being like deep after that. And indeed it is. Some of you have been diving out there listening. I'm sure you have, Anthony. When you get down below about five metres, you think, God, I'm deep. It's, you know, you, you only have to go down 20 feet or something and you feel that extra pressure. And yes. We've got to get out of here. We've we got do. the doctors we're gonna, coming we're in. We're going to play some the psychi- stuff. The psychiatrists are going to get upset <laughs> with us if we don't leave. Um, I would like to thank Alona Cheruvi once again for coming in from the Phil Island Nature Park, um, telling us about her lapwing work and what's happening at the um, Penguin Parade. Brilliant. And next week? Probably next week. Back. Uh, bronze back next week. Absolutely. And um, it's been lovely, Dr Beach. I've enjoyed this occasion this has been a podcast from three triple r 102.7 fm in melbourne truly independent community radio want to hear more check out our website at rrr.org.au